This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. With the Iowa caucuses behind us, the battle for second place in the Republican primary is getting more and more pathetic. But the battle for Trump's new running mate, things didn't end well with his last one, is getting interesting and also frightening. We'll discuss what it means about the sellability of their party. Trump called the judge in his sexual assault trial a nasty guy with no sense of irony whatsoever. And Nikki Haley wants you to know that she's not a lawyer and she doesn't understand the meaning of the phrase innocent until proven guilty. The legal eagles running Trump's document case defense say the U.S. intelligence community is unfairly biased against people who illegally take top secret documents and refuse to give them up. My word. We'll look at some good polling and some good election results. And by good, I simply mean they make us feel hopeful. Finally, there's a Supreme Court case coming soon that could totally decimate the ability of the U.S. government to govern. It's the scariest thing you haven't heard about. Welcome back to the podcast for the 54% of Americans who vote for progress in every election and want to convince their conservative friends and family members to join a majority. This is Majority 54. Well, Jason, the results are finally in. There's actually police going by my apartment. You could probably hear them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if there's a yawn sound effect, uh, but we should play one if there is one. This There were more people who listened to Majority 54 last week than who showed up to the Iowa caucuses on Monday. Mm-hmm. And and that says, you know, obviously that means that we're awesome. We have a huge audience. But it also means that uh, the outcome for Monday night was pretty predetermined. Everybody knew what it was. Uh, and it's pretty much... My question was, who was going to come in second? Mm-hmm. Ron just narrowly eked out Nikki Haley. And we're, this is probably it, you know? Like, she could, she could mount some kind of effort in New Hampshire, but it's hard to see anybody taking this from Trump at this point. Yeah. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and jump to this clip, this first clip from his victory speech, where he sounds very much like a guy who's a little bored and thinks this is over. Yeah. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. Practically never been like this. The only time I could remember was just a few years ago when, oh, <laughs> shit, that was when I was president. Uh, but he's, you know, the great unifier. I didn't yeah. think, I've been waiting for somebody to take the mantle from Obama. You know, red, <laughs> we're not red state or blue state. We're not black or white. I, unlikely vessel for that message. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because th- it's just like a, it's like he's making small talk at the beginning of the speech, mm-hmm. right? It's meaningless chitter chatter. Uh, nobody listening, including like people who love him, none, none of them are thinking, well, what Donald Trump wants is to bring everyone together. They all know that at the heart of Donald Trump's appeal is 
that he will punish the people who weren't with you in the first place. And so I suppose you could read into that in a way where you say, well, he wants to bring everybody together like the way the emperor wanted to bring peace to the galaxy, right? Like just, yeah. just rule over everyone. Um, I just thought it was kind of funny that his approach to, he's just like throwing these lines off. I think as he's thinking about what he wants to say as a warm up, because it's just sort of what you say at the beginning of it. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing that was noticeable to me is that he has he has already gone from like viciously attacking Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy to now he's in unifying mode. Let's check mm -hmm. out this clip. Ron and Nikki for having a a good a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And uh, I think they both actually did very well. I really do. I think they both did very well. We don't even know what the outcome of second place is. And uh, I see Carrie Lake. Congratulations, Carrie. Very good. I spotted her, I have to announce, because she's terrific. She's going to be a senator, a great senator, I predict, right? You're going to be a great senator. And uh, I also want to congratulate Vivek, because he did a hell of a job. He came from uh, zero, and he's uh, got a big percent, probably 8%, almost 8%, and that's a, an amazing job. They all did. They're all very smart, very smart people, very capable people. I mean, he's just like, hey, you're invited back. I, I've ruthlessly attacked you. It's and, the right uh, move. I it mean, is the right move. Yeah. yeah. I, it's I, like the only move. He, he, he would be an amazing TV character if we didn't have to live in the country or on a planet for which he has any power. Mm -hmm. Like, as a fictional character, he's actually hilarious to me if he wasn't a real person. Like, right. the things he says, he just reminds me of some wacky people I grew up with. Uh, and I, it's just, I, I worry that the American people will be captivated by this again, uh, and think it's some kind of joke, um, for, you know, and forget that this guy was in fact president and that didn't go so well. And it's yeah, and like, way worse this time. Like lots of people died and I mean, yeah. like a lot of things went wrong. Yeah. Uh, the hope is that people remember and that the Biden campaign, which we'll get to in a few minutes, will do a good job helping them remember. Um, in the meantime, it is the job of people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley to come out of this in a way where they have an opportunity to get something they want. And in DeSantis's case, he has to come out of it and look like he actually won something in Iowa, um, which must be brutal, man. I mean, to like, it has been, I don't know what it's like in New York, you know, here in Missouri, where we're not too far from Iowa, it is so cold. It is the kind of cold where you're like, is there a supervisor I can talk to? Like, this is an unacceptable situation. It has been zero or less for several days. We're in like a polar vortex. And you know, that's how his slog of a campaign ended, is having to trudge through all that, or I guess the Iowa campaign you know, ended. I remember in 2007, 2008, it was so cold, everybody kept getting stuck in snowbanks. Um, shout out to Daniel Gray and Madhuri Comoretti, they were in our office, and they I can't remember which one of them or both of them just never returned. It was almost like a an open mystery for a while. Let's see what happened to them. Yeah. It's like, what happened? It's like a, uh, it should be a podcast or something. Like what happened? <laughs> but the, but, but it was fun because we knew we could win. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's why your football team, they, those guys look like they're having some fun out there as their helmets were cracking over the weekend. Uh, but if you're, 
you know, the Miami Dolphins in the fourth quarter or, you know. It's they, just cold. It's at that just point. cold. You just want to go home. Like, yeah. when you, you know, it's like when you, Ron DeSantis's body language is not much different than Tua's body language over the weekend towards mm-hmm. the end there. Tyree Kill was joking about how he just wanted to go to Cancun or something. And like, look, I don't blame them. But the thing is, Santos isn't going to Cancun. I think he's going to New Hampshire, right? <laughs> it's going to be cold there too. Yeah. All right, let's let's look at this DeSantis clip and we'll let the viewer, the listener figure out if they can see what the speechwriter's job was going into the speech. It's to reframe something around an idea. Let's see if you can figure out what that idea was. They Thank you. Thanks so much. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. We love you too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million attacking us. No one's faced that much all the way just through Iowa. They, the media was against us. They were writing our obituary months ago. They even called the election before people even got a chance to vote. But they were just so excited about the fact that they were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. But I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Did you, did you spot it, people? <laughs> we weren't trying to win Iowa. We were trying we, to get our ticket punched. We just wanted to get out of Iowa. And it's like, <laughs> look, <laughs> look we, got, we got the last flight. We, we yeah. did it. We did it. It's like but, he, he's just shown up and been like, do you validate Iowa? Like, can you punch this? Um, you know, it's, which I guess is all we can do right now. Look, that was honestly my goal in India was to make sure I didn't get arrested. I can get out of the country, <laughs> yeah. Which is there a joke that will make sense in a couple months. But the, the, <laughs> the, the, the thing, the line in there that I want to talk about, and I saw this from right-wing figures on the internet like Dave Rubin, is this idea that the media wanted Trump. Right. That's what they're mm-hmm. saying. The media wants Trump. Number one, this is a party that's supposed to be about personal responsibility, and they will talk about anybody but the Republican primary voters. What we will see in New Hampshire is, is whenever you open it up to people other than Republican primary voters, Trump's support goes down. The second mm-hmm. thing is the media, I would say us included, wants this to be as long and drawn out an affair as possible because it's good for ratings. Like, right. like all these media networks, I was just reading some of the data this morning, they're really suffering these media networks because uh, there's no head-to-head competition and they count on like a, a lot of eyes during uh, election season. So it's total beast. And like they want to they point the finger at anybody but their own voters. Meanwhile, while he's arguing that the media is pro-Trump, which, I mean, there's so many layers to that, uh, the Trump campaign is upset that the media, at least CNN and MSNBC, didn't show his uh, victory speech. So let's let's go to uh, this clip of him saying him, you know, being upset about that. Followed by Rachel Maddow explaining why. 
interject. Sorry. I'm sorry, I just have to do a little bit no. of business just for a second. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. And that is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. It was amazing. NBC and CNN refused to air my victory speech. Think of it. Because they are crooked, they're dishonest, and frankly, they should have their licenses or whatever they have taken away. They put on, they put on Nikki Haley. She came in third. A distant third, like I mean a distant third, and they put on Ron DeSanctimonious, who came in a boring second. Um, a couple of things. One, I obviously got the order wrong. Uh, we did it in reverse order, but, or in the order it happened. Uh, one, obviously, like within what, 24 hours, he's back to calling them names. <laughs> It's, he's no longer trying to unite anybody. Uh, they kind of caught strays while he's mad at the news networks. And second, I don't know, man, if you were president for four years and you've been in media your entire life, you should know how to talk about broadcast licenses. Like uh, he's like their licenses or whatever they have. Like, I mean, probably you ought to have retained that information. Um, anyway. Yeah, I'm not, you know, speaking of sanctimonious, I, I, why talk about why you're not going to air? Like, I think it, it almost, it makes you the story, right? As the news media. Like, I, I actually think the decision makes sense. I just think you shouldn't, you're, you're, you're feeding the beast by saying, doing that whole monologue about why you're not covering it. I, I just think you should just pretend, just be like, look, all right, we're monitoring the situation. We're moving on. Like, why, why give that explanation? That's, that's my yeah, question. It's I not guess, a big, I not a big deal, but it's just something. But if what he said is true, which is a big if, that they did air Haley and DeSantis, then I do think you have to address why you didn't carry the winner and did carry the yeah. runner-up and second runner-up, you know, the silver and bronze. Um, and yeah. look, I think it's fine to just repeatedly be like, he doesn't tell the truth, so we don't put him on television. Like, um, I, I think it's, or, I mean, it's probably a tough decision is to... I guess not not whether to say that, but how often to say that because it does inflame people. Um, but I mean, I do think it's a key a clue that I think once he figures out how broadcast licenses work, he's going to try and change the law to take them away from people if he's president again. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a, a shock. Uh, law. law, Jason, what world are you? The law change yeah, the law. I'm just what kind of president are him. you imagining from Trump? Yeah, yeah, like, sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, our boy Vivek. Look, I want to I want to pat ourselves on the back for this one. We we caught Vivek early. Longtime mm -hmm. listeners, I want a gold star for this one. We recognized a future star in the making when we saw one, and we devoted some serious airtime to him. And I also think we deserve a second gold star for immediately ignoring him for the most part after we realized how annoying <laughs> he was. So yeah. <laughs> two gold stars. Now let's go to his um, 
sort of like endorsement of Trump in New Hampshire. I, I don't know if this was the first endorsement, but he went to New Hampshire immediately and started flacking for Trump. Oh, let's go to this clip. We believe those ideals still exist. This man is going to be your next president to revive them. E pluribus unum. From many, one. I, I continue to find it hilarious that the Republicans think that from many, one means one person. Uh, and <laughs> it's this guy. It's not, not what it means, but that's all right. Well, I mean, yeah, that was... Um, you know, that moment was set uh, from the moment he entered the race. I think we all knew that. Yeah. Um, and now he is campaigning, uh, clearly, to be the running mate, um, you know, which brings us to this next story that, you know, Nikki Haley had said that she was not going to participate in the debate unless Trump participated in the debate. And then DeSantis fired back and said, well, that's just because she wants to be Trump's vice presidential pick, which is, I'm sure, true, sadly. It's also like, don't get all sanctimonious, Duran, because you are only able to say that. <laughs> now he's Duran. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I removed the D from the sanctimonious. <laughs> I had to put it somewhere. Uh, you know, I had to conjugate. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, you can only say that because you can't be his running mate because you're right. a dude from the same state as him. Right. So he can't pick you. For the first part, for political reasons, for the second part, because you can't have two people from the same state. Uh, so you, so of course you get to throw stones uh, when Ron DeSanctimonious would be delighted to be his running mate if he could. It would be like, you mean I, I get to stop trudging around in the snow and, and going through this terrible thing? Yeah, he would do that. But, you know, sadly, that's what they're all trying to do. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict right now that we're looking at either Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, or uh, what's the woman from upstate New York, uh, Stefanik. Oh, Stefanik. I, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be Nome in South Dakota. Uh, oh, I, I actually do think Trump is smart enough at this point to pick somebody who, because I think he's now used to steamrolling his vice president. Mm -hmm. I actually think he could pick a Haley type, but I actually think Gnome is gets them both what like a, a a figure that the American people will see as a fresh young face um, and a governor. Uh, but then I also think he'll get somebody who will not question anything he does, like will be way more uh, amenable to whatever nonsense he wants to do than even Mike Pence was. Yeah. I, I agree. The reason, the only reason I say Marjorie Taylor Greene is because there's not a lot of other options for him in Georgia. And with Stefanik, I mean, I think she's on there because I think she's a very art, articulate advocate for his bullshit. Um, with Noam, she might be too. But I also, what I tend to, uh, what I tend to lean toward is the idea that at the end of the day, he's a very transactional person and he wants to know what somebody can bring. Right. And he's petrified of losing a Georgia or an Arizona or a Nevada again, you know, or a Pennsylvania. And so if there's a world in which he can pick somebody from one of those places, I think that's what he's going to do. Right. Uh, because he, he just, you know, he wants a natural, like, and I'm not saying that's just him. Like that's how Johnson became king. I have this weird theory this. though about Trump, which is as loony as he is, he recognizes loony people and I, it, oh, it's, for sure. it's, sort of, it's sort of the TV guy in him is that 
I think Taylor Green. It's why I think he he found Vivek amusing from day one, mm-hmm. and he never quite took him seriously as as a as a serious person. Whereas I think he would look at Gnome, and I think even Haley, and he wants like he, the television personality in him wants the right kind of stand in. Uh, yeah, him, you know. Well, because sadly Trump's not crazy. He's a sociopath. He's yes. not a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. You know? He's 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 not crazy. He's <laughs> he's evil. And yeah. he's and he's methodical. And so when he looks at, I mean, hell, most of his supporters. Well, he has I no problem he, with the people in, like the Giuliani's and the Bannons and those types right. of people being, you know, unwound or whatever. But it, but it's if it's somebody he has to stand next to him all the time or whatever, he has a different standard for that. You know, he now, wants them to look he, good. He wants them to speak in complete sentences. You know, right. he has a higher standard. The way he like got upset with Sean Spicer for how his suit fit. Right. right, exactly. Um, that kind of stuff. So, but he, I want to sort of amend my statement. He started out as a sociopath, but as he has gone through this stuff, he's been radicalized and he's become a sociopath with psychopathic tendencies, right? I mean, like, like he now will buy into, you know, all the QAnon stuff and that kind of thing because it, it uh, buttresses the damage to his ego that losing consistently does. And so, so, which makes him even more dangerous this time. But yes, I agree. But that's why I think if he had a better choice in Georgia, for instance, than a Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think he'd go with it. I think he would love to pick somebody like Carrie Lake because she's pretty good on TV, right? Um, but, and maybe he will, maybe he'll pluck her right out of that Senate race. Cause he doesn't care about that kind of thing. Right. She obviously thinks that's a possibility, which is why she's campaigning for Arizona Senate in Iowa. Yeah, that is noticeable, is it? Yeah. yeah. And and the fact that he pointed her out and so um by the uh, way, you could tell he he had forgotten, you know, this is like sort of Trump senility watch. He's like, for Senate, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you could tell he was he was not a hundred percent he was he was proceeding cautiously as he said that. Um uh okay, and then uh as these folks are campaigning to be um you know Mussolini's vice president. Um, let's look at like the 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 way they're stretching. So let's let's look at this answer from Nikki Haley. You're the only woman in this race. How do you feel about your party's front runner being held liable for sexual abuse? I mean, first of all, I haven't paid attention to his his cases, and I'm not a lawyer. All I know is that he's innocent until proven guilty. And when he's proven guilty and he's sitting in a courtroom, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You've got investigations on Trump and Biden. But a lot of people, forgive me, but a lot of people uh, in the Republican Party blow it all off and say, that it's all a witch hunt and which is because I think some of the some of the cases have been political. Okay, so just to walk you all through this, um, she knows that some of the cases have been political. She's also been paying no attention to the cases. so that doesn't make a lot of sense. But let's take her at her word that she's been paying no attention to the cases and be like, no, I'm not taking you at your word because this is the dude you're running against for president and he's on trial for like all sorts of things. And you want me to believe that you haven't noticed? Like, I'm sorry, I've run for a few offices. Uh, I tended to pay attention to the opposition research on my opponents. Uh, if it were on every news station every day, I don't think I would miss it. Second, or third or whatever. And most importantly, he was found liable. And your answer is he's innocent until proven guilty. That's, that, 
you don't have to be a lawyer to understand a judge was like, you committed sexual assault. And your answer is, well, let's see what the judge says. Like, it's always how my favorite. Desperate. My favorite- my favorite answer from people is when they're like, I'm just not following it closely. It's like, it reminded me of like this NBA stuff when Daryl Morey said the China comment about Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And then they started asking all these, you know, like very activisty people that I, that I otherwise have a lot of respect for, like Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. And then they're like, you know, they they have all this knowledge of global affairs and, you know, they, they fashion themselves like these intellectuals. And they're like, oh, just, would I have no idea what's going on in China? Sure. This is like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Well, it's like, I, I just mean, haven't had a time to study the issue. <laughs> it's that old saying, never underestimate the ability of someone not to understand something they're paid not to understand. Right. It's and, like, well, uh, d- democracy, not democracy. Who's to say, you yeah. know, like, you know, like Steve Kerr, please. Uh, okay, uh, let's take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we will do a special installment of Trump Legal and much more. Uh, when we get back. Real talk. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. But it's always been a taboo topic. But thankfully, Hims is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. And Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments all from the comfort of your couch and HIMSS provide access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and discreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. And Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash majority. That's H-I-M-S.com slash majority for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash majority. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply and see website for details and important safety information. Subscriptions are required. Price varies based on the product and the subscription plan. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, after the new year, we all get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat a healthy breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strengths instead of just beating up on yourself for not doing certain things. And this is great because it can allow you to ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick and be proud of yourself. I've personally benefited from this mentality. I know a lot of people who have found this way of positive thinking through therapy. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma, it's for everyone because what you're going through matters. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Now celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, 
H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Well, Jason, Trump punched his ticket out of Iowa, of course, and then right into a courtroom in New York where he sat and listened to uh, Eugene Carroll's testimony uh, in uh, this case that, you know, you're, you're the civil guy here. Explain what's going on here. Where are we procedurally in this whole thing? Because it seems like there have been a yeah. lot of a lot of like verdict ish type of decisions mm-hmm. handed down in this case. Well, the simple the simple explanation is he lost the sexual uh, assault civil case, right? I mean, the judge was like, "Yeah, uh, he sexual sexually abused Eugene Carroll," um, and now the part and he defamed that, her. I think they found that too. And then and then and he defamed her by uh, saying that he you know never met her and everything. Uh, and so now it's really then the next phase was a damages phase where they just were like, and that's when Trump got interested, right, in actually contesting it uh, for the most part because he I think was like I have no way to prove that I didn't. Um, and she has all the ways to prove that I did. Uh, so then he, he got involved and they started trying to defend it and they lost on the damages part. So the judge said, Hey, you're a bunch of money. And then that verdict came down and then immediately he defamed her again and went on TV and was like, yeah, that she's been lying the whole time. And now we're in that case. Now she came back and sued him again for defaming her again. Uh, and, and there we are. Um, and and I guess what happened today is that as the judge was speaking, uh, or, or I think one of the witnesses, maybe even Carol was, yeah, I guess Carol was testifying and Trump was saying all sorts of disruptive things at his counsel table to his lawyer and saying that, well, here, we'll read it right out of the article. Trump seemed upset at times during her testimony, shaking his head in anger and making comments to his lawyer while Carol was talking. At one point after U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan told Trump's attorney to sit down after making an objection. Trump slammed the table and commented to his attorney, nasty guy, apparently referring to the judge. Uh, so, you know, he's behaving exactly as well as you might think. Uh, now, the judge, I guess, since then has, has threatened to kick him out of the trial. Um, the exchange was something like this. It says, Mr. Trump has the right to be present here. This is the judge talking. That right can be forfeited and it can be forfeited if he is disruptive. Uh, this is just before they broke for lunch. Uh, the judge um, told uh, his lawyers that. Uh, he said, Mr. Trump, I hope I don't have to consider excluding you from the trial. I understand you are probably very eager for me to do that. This is the judge recognizing that Trump would love to go out and say, oh, look, the judge is kicking me out of the trial. Okay, I waited. Everything is against me. Uh, and in fact, Trump responded, I would love it. I would love it. And he waved his hands. And the judge said, I know you would because you just can't control yourself in this circumstance. Uh, and then People will enjoy this. They know Trump's brand of, of retort. Uh, Trump said, you can't either, which is kind of like, you're the puppet. Uh, and the warning came from the judge after Sean Crowley, an attorney for Eugene Carroll, the plaintiff, raised the issue of Trump speaking loudly enough to, be, to potentially be an earshot of the jury. So, you know, not really any analysis for me on this other than to say, hey, he's an asshole in court, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's just like this all the time. Uh, I'm clearly well, he's not having a good time. Tre- like you know, the right wing is you know can't can't stop saying that he's being persecuted. What would happen if you or I were on trial and we started talking back to a judge like that? We'd be sitting in a prison cell. Like, yeah, you'd, yeah. Like no you doubt just about can't it. Do that. Like no, it's wild. Uh, the documents case. Uh, there's so many cases in the documents case. In the briefings, Trump's team basically went after the intelligence community 
saying that they are motivated against him, politically motivated. And so they made that clear that that's going to be their legal strategy. Um, I yeah. Mean, this, well, this they're could, just been, they're playing this in politics. They're not separating the politics from the law here. That's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, Trump has been, even back, you know, right when he got elected, he started waging this battle on democracy. But at the same time, he started waging a battle to undermine the U.S. intelligence community because that's who, you know, had caught him uh, trying to collude with Russia and that kind of thing. So he's been trying to undermine them forever. And so let's just, when this comes up with people, let's track what this argument is when people are saying, you know, oh, he's being persecuted in this case or that case. The argument here is that the U.S. intelligence community is bringing this case because they don't like Donald Trump. Okay. Let's just back up and review the facts because anybody who's telling you that is also going to say, well, you know, there were these other officials like Biden who were found to have documents, but they only have gone after and indicted Trump. Okay. Let's remember a couple of things. The US intelligence community, part of their job is to make sure that classified documents, classified secrets, methods, sources don't get out. It's called it's called counterintelligence, making sure that your your knowledge, your stuff doesn't get to the other side and you can't be collected upon by other nations and uh, foreign groups who are conducting intelligence operations. Part of that means taking things that we know are in these documents, like nuclear secrets, military plans to attack other nations like Iran, how we would do it, that kind of thing, and saying, there are certain places that these things have to be, and they can't leave those places. You can't, for instance, keep them in your bathroom in Florida, right? When you no longer have a security clearance and you're no longer the president. Just little, you know, guidelines like those. Uh, so, yes, the intelligence community has a bias, and that bias is against people having completely reckless uh, methods for keeping these secrets. Now, people bring up the Biden thing, and it's important to revisit that analogy, which is. Biden, like, let's say Trump and Biden went into the same store and uh, Biden went out the doors of the store and the little alarm went off and he realized, oh, I have something in my cart that I didn't pay for. And he turned around and he walked back into the store and he handed it to them, right? Nobody had, to, nobody caught him. Nobody chased after him. He's like, oh, whoops. Well, okay. You're not going to call the police on that, on that. You're not going to prosecute somebody for that. Uh, same thing happened with Pence and some other people. Trump put some stuff in his pocket, left the store, and sped off. And then when people came to him and were like, we think you shoplifted something from the store, he was like, I don't have anything from the store for like a long period of time. That's what ha that's the difference in these two cases. Uh, yeah, and he started showing the in the store to random people. Right, right. <laughs> that's the other I thing. from the store. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yes. All right. Um, well, this is not even a bigger big deal, but since it's Trump legal, the the appeals court. Uh, there was there's so many appeals going on already involving these cases, but Jack Smith. Uh, when I think of Jack Smith, I think of like the suits law firm. Like he has to have like hundred lawyers under him uh, with the amount of legal work they're doing. I would hope, but mm -hmm. he he had uh, gotten access to Trump's private communications in Twitter. Uh, that was a previous case that the district court decided. The appeals court in D.C. upheld that, 
And in an interesting back and forth, the conservatives join the liberals in affirming Jack Smith's authority, but did signal that they're uncomfortable with the reasoning in the lower court decision and felt that there is an overly broad um, encroachment on the executive branch. And I was reading it. I'm not sure. I, I was actually went and read the opinion. It's like the, and it's not even a full opinion, but the, this is one of those areas where everything around this Trump thing, it's like you have to think of it in relation to Trump, and then you have to think of it in, in the general sense. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I'm not sure they're wrong. Like, I, I you know, because like, like, let's pretend the Republicans started getting the Obama's private Yahoo messages back when he was using Yahoo or whatever. And, and the thing is, they didn't have to notify Trump that they did this. Right. You start to think like, all right, I'm not sure I like the rule. I like the application of it because it seems like this is relevant to the case. But the the rule itself, I think, is tricky. So two two thoughts on this. One, to your point, it's that old expression that we learned in law school that bad facts make bad law. Yeah. That when you know, when there's when there's a, a case that is really unique and that isn't all that uh representative of other cases but you make a decision in it and you make a ruling that affects lots of other cases, you can end up creating bad law. There's some of that going on here. But the other thing that I think should be the standard here is that if you attempt to get through discovery um, these messages from the subject of the investigation, in this case, the president, if you're saying, hey, we need to know what you said about this to these people, and, the, and, you, and you as the defendant or the, or the subject of the investigation refuse to turn them over, then I think it, opens, it should open things up a little more for the Justice Department, for authorities to go around you to get the thing that if a judge has deemed it relevant to the prosecution, relevant to the case, and you refuse to surrender it, uh, then I think you, you're faced with a different question. But it all goes back to the idea that I agree, bad facts make for bad law. It's just another way that Trump is sort of screwing all of us, uh, yeah. is, is by, by screwing up this, this sort of thing. So, all right, uh, with that said, should we go on to some of these indicators uh, that there are reasons to feel kind of good? Uh, yeah, this about- is your good news section, which obviously you added to the outline because I, I would never... <laughs> I'm, I'm, my job is doomsaying now. Well, it was, it was, it's, it's Salty's urging. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's nice to have something in here. Um, let's go ahead and, and throw up this uh, graphic uh, that you had, Salty, on, um, on the economy uh, and the polling having to do with it, if you have it. So um, this, is, so this is, it's an article about you know, America being more upbeat uh, about certain things. Oh my gosh, I need like reading glasses maybe. I'm having trouble with this. I think it says 63% of Americans rate their current financial situation as being good, uh, including, Robbie, can you see that? 19%, I think, who say it's very good. Uh, God, maybe I need to go see the eye doctor. This is terrible. Um, <laughs> You read it. Can you read it? Yeah, I can't either. Uh, let me see. Oh, right thank here. God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> here's the deal: seventy-seven percent of Americans are happy where they're living. Sixty-three percent rate their financial situation as good. I think this is in line. You could read it. Yeah. Well, the, no, you, made, you were trying to make me feel better. No, no, this is from my notes. But the oh, uh, the this is in general. This is in line with some general trends I've been talking about recently um, in another context around how. 
Americans, when they talk about their own financial situation, are reflecting the objective data around where the economy is, which is they're generally feeling that they're doing well. Um, but uh, people who, um, when you ask them to describe the overall economy, the numbers are a little bit more tricky. Um, but the the good news for Biden is that, so it's it's kind of in line with that. I like my congressman. I don't like Congress type of thing, or I like my school, yeah. but I don't like the direction of education in this country. There's a lot of data that dovetails with this. And there's also a um, a lot of data that people are optimistic about the future, which is the good news for Biden that he sh he can capitalize on. Yeah, it's interesting because um, like, like the analogy you drew, people are, a lot of those same people will say they don't like the job that Biden is doing, which could mean some things. It could mean that people think that, you know, he doesn't have a lot to do with it. It could mean that they think that it's going so well now that Trump couldn't hurt it, or maybe some, and some of them think Trump could only help it. So those are all reasons to still be concerned. But generally, going into a re-election as president, all things being equal, you want to, you want people to be optimistic about the economy. You want people to. It's one less thing, one less major thing to worry about. And then the other piece is that to consider is that. We keep seeing all these polls that say that Biden is unpopular. In fact, there was one this week that said he was really unpopular. And then we keep seeing Democrats winning elections, including uh, this way. Uh, Salty just put it back up and put it in big print for me. Thank you. But um, but then, you know, we saw where the Democrats flipped a, a House seat in, in Central Florida, a state House seat um, from uh, Republican to Democratic this week. So that, that keeps happening. We keep having special elections. We keep winning them. Um, you know, the midterms, we did well. So, you know, that those are sort of the most important polls, especially because polling is probably more broken now than it's ever been. So those are reasons to be optimistic. I also, it just reminds me of something that I kind of saw going around this week that I do think makes a good point, which is over the past, what now, I'd say eight years, uh, there has been an obsession uh, on the part of the media and I have been a part of this as well because I've been an advocate for learning more about the thoughts of people who disagree with us. But there's been an obsession uh, with, you know, profiling that diehard Trump voter that you meet in a diner in Pennsylvania, like the New York Times, mm -hmm. you know, loves to tell these stories. And a lot of people have been pointing out lately that you just don't see stories uh, about, you know, the what 73 year old woman from bethlehem pennsylvania who will be voting for biden and nobody could ever change her mind and here's why right like you don't see that and and i understand why because if you if if you are a journalist at a major publication in this country the chances are you probably live in a place where you're you're in a blue area where you're surrounded um by uh, by democrats and so when you think of reporting, it doesn't seem that interesting to you to go out and interview those people. It's more interesting to go out and interview people who who don't believe as your neighbors believe, right? But I do think it would be valuable uh, to all of us to learn more about that. And I do think it it lends to like the mythologizing of the Trump voter. Uh, it It gives them more credibility. And I don't mean more credibility than they deserve because they're a Trump voter. I mean, look, I, I'm willing to say that every voter deserves equal credibility because they all have an equal vote. But I do think it gives them more credibility than their counterpart on the left. And, and so 
it's just a thought that there needs to be more deep dives into why people don't like Trump. Yeah, and I, there will be definitely more focus on Trump now that it he's wrapping up the nomination, and you know the White House will point to data that shows that something like two thirds of voters across the board for the general election don't think it's going to be Biden versus Trump. So once mm -hmm. Trump and don't think Trump's going to be on the ballot, so once they have to face that fact, I, it's possible things will change. Uh, I had a good conversation with Gabriel De Benedetti yesterday from the New York Magazine, who wrote that piece called the alarming quiet uh, the alarming calm of the biden campaign hmm. if you remember this piece and I, he I and don't i remember the piece I, he and i, I went back and I forth i remember gabriel he's been at like he's worked at so many different places i think he's interviewed me from two different yeah he was at politico he was before yeah yeah he he and i went back and forth over this in an interview we, we put on the last debate feed yesterday where um our consensus was that there's opportunity for Biden, which is the the sort of perceptions of Trump and the, the renewed attention on him, the perceptions of the economy being two, um, and uh, and potentially, and this, I put a huge asterisk next to this, the cooling down of the conversation around Israel Palestine, which both of us acknowledged is no given there. Like I think it could it could, it could stay as hot as it is right now. On the flip side. Gabriel's perception was that Trump has basically kept all of his support so far from mm -hmm. the last election, whereas Biden has hemorrhaged uh, a decent amount on the margins where it matters of young voters, voters of color, suburban voters, swing voters, that he needs to get back to even get to back where he was, was before. Mm -hmm. And so one of two things needs to happen. Either Trump is going to have to lose some of his people, which I think is hard to imagine at this point. He seems to do a really good job of keeping the people that are his people. Or Biden's going to have to keep or grow his coalition. And that is a hard thing to do in an environment where young people and voters of color are as skeptical of him as they are right now. It's an uphill climb. It's not an impossible climb, but it's just uphill. I also think it's difficult because it's just hard to... I think we live in an environment where incumbency is not what it was. And that was what we ways, talked about. Yeah, that was his, yeah. both of our theories that it, it's actually a, a net negative now. Um, yeah, not not across the board, but I think when it comes to hanging on to certain groups of voters, I do think it is a net negative, and those are the certain groups of voters that he needs to hang on to, right? Um, and I think certainly in the last uh, presidential election, I do think incumbency was a bit of a negative for Trump because he had done such a horrendous job, <laughs> right? But now we're going to be four years removed from him doing that horrendous job. Uh, and, you know, the American attention span is shorter all the time uh, and, and the memory gets shorter. So there's no question that it is going to be uh, much harder this time than last time. Um, and, and so we've got to gear up for it. But it's, it's, I wanted to inject a little bit of optimism as we, as we get it ready for that fight. And speaking of the stakes of that fight, um, we have this enormous Supreme Court case uh, that people really don't know much about. Do you want to go ahead and introduce it? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into this because there are like entire classes in law school about this area of law. But, mm -hmm. you know, you went to law school, I went to law school, there's this thing called Chevron deference, which is after a 1984 case, the Chevron USA versus the National Resource Defense Council, which essentially established the ability of, uh, of executive agencies, federal agency officials to take broad laws and interpret them using their expertise in whatever area that is. So like the EPA or the 
um, or the energy department, right? Like you want, um, you want people with the scientific technical agency knowledge to be able to make determinations and implement laws because the laws can't spell out every possible area of implementation or the way like technology changes and society changes. That has been the law that our federal government has been operating on under basically both of our entire lives. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court has been chipping away at it uh, over the past decade. Uh, the most recent was an EPA case. I think it was 2022. But there's a new case involving fishermen in New Jersey and Rhode Island. Essentially, they're, they're being required to pay for equipment that monitors fishing patterns. Uh, and actually, interestingly, the program has been discontinued, but the lawsuit continues because they're, they're challenging the law because they're worried the law will come back. Um, the law actually, it was actually Trump administration law, interestingly enough. But essentially, this could be the case that is like as important as any case that the Supreme Court has decided. Like it will gut the ability of the federal government government to function as we know it. Yeah, I, I think probably most people don't realize the degree to which uh, how many laws that affect them on a day to day basis, particularly as they do business, as they buy goods uh, that weren't in a bill in Congress necessarily, they were the product of a bill in Congress, right? Like where Congress says, hey, we're going to do X. And then Congress understands that a bunch of very smart people, like you said, are going to say, well, here's how we're going to do X. That's what rules are. It's the difference between rules and laws. And the reason that conservatives, not all conservatives, but certainly the reason that movement conservatives and the kind of the folks at the Federalist Society and super duper corporate conservatives, the reason that they want to scale back rules is because they don't want government regulation, period. And when people talk about regulations, they're mostly talking about rules. They're talking about things that the executive branch, either at the state uh, or even local, but certainly at the federal level say, hey, the law says this. We, When it says this, it means this. Here's the standard, right? And here's the percentage of this you have to have and that kind of thing. They don't like that kind of thing. They want fewer rules. They want less government. And one of the quickest ways to get there is to make it really hard to make rules. Uh, right now, I think in the Chevron deference standard, I think the way it works is that if, if, if a law is passed and then an administration makes a rule uh, furthering the enforcement of that law, I think the court, if there's, if there's a lawsuit, the court can examine it, I think, using just a reasonableness standard, just saying, okay, the law says this, the government did this to enforce that law. Is that a reasonable thing to do given what the law says? And this would say that that can't be the standard anymore. They're basically trying to get to a place where if it didn't get passed by Congress specifically, this is like the ultimate uh, strict constructionism thing, right? Uh, Originalist thing. If it didn't say that in the law, the bill that was passed, then it's not the law. And one of the experts in the article that you sent, the Washington Post article, um, said this very scary thing, right? He said, this is David Doniger, Senior Strategic Director of the National Resources Defense Council. He called the effort to undo Chevron, quote, a brazen attempt by the right to hobble modern government and destroy its capacity to address the modern world's problems at the scale, speed, and number they come at us. The government, he said, will be paralyzed if Congress is forced to make technical scientific policy decisions. Just think about how hard it is for Congress to pass anything. Now imagine Congress having to agree on the science, right? Like, like if these were in place during COVID, for instance, Fauci would have had 
no power whatsoever, right? The CDC would have had no power whatsoever. And the only way you could have had uh, mandates of any kind would have been if Congress passed them, right? The, you know, your county officials would have very little power in many cases, that kind of thing. So that's why we said at the top of the show, this is the scariest thing that you don't know about right now. And yet another reason why Trump cannot win the election. Yes, sir. Well, on that sunny note, should we, uh, should you one for us? Yeah, I have a quick grab and oar. Oh yeah. Um, this is, uh, mostly for people in the Kansas City area, but even if you're not, you can still support this cause. I have talked many times on here about uh, the Raufi family. The, you know, Ravi, you know all about them. The Raufi family uh, is my translator's family um, who uh, the Taliban were after in 2021 um, when, the, uh, when, the, uh, when, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan because they had helped uh, the Americans. And it's a long story, um, and a crazy one, but we were able to get them and 2,100 other people out of the country with some sort of nutty vigilante stuff that we did. Um, now they are now here in Kansas City. They're like basically part of our family. Uh, my daughter Bella refers to the Raufis as the Raufi Canders, um, and she's three, and that's how she explains them being part of our family. Uh, and we're doing this very special event to raise money for the resettlement agency here in Kansas City. Um, wherever you are listening to this, there is a resettlement agency in your region. Uh, it's different agencies in different places. Here in Kansas City, it's Jewish Vocational Services. They're the ones responsible with resettling people in the Kansas City area. Interestingly, they were the resettlement agency uh, that helped, uh, that, that did resettle um, Diana, my wife's family, when they came here from Soviet Ukraine in 1989. And now we've become big supporters of JVS, Jewish Vocational Services, and they helped us resettle the Rufi family here in Kansas City. And in return, we and the Rufi family uh, want to do our part. And so we are doing a fundraiser uh, for Jewish Vocational Services here in Kansas City, which is a very special event that's going to happen on Thursday, February 8th, from 6.30 to 8 at Union Station. And the reason it's very special is because Diana is going to moderate a discussion uh, between myself and Rahim Raufi, um, who is uh, my, my, one of my closest friends uh, now. He's, we refer to each other as brothers, and he is, he's the head of the Raufi family. And we're going to basically tell the story of everything they went to and all the stuff we went through to get them out. Uh, it's a pretty harrowing tale, um, and it's, uh, it's a good way to come and raise money. And if you can't come, uh, you can find Jewish Vocational Services uh, of Kansas City online, and you can give money. Um, but we'll put the link to this event for you to buy tickets. They start at like $25 uh, to this event in the show notes. Um, and hopefully you'll, you'll support it or you'll be there. It should be, uh, it should be pretty entertaining for folks, actually. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it should be fun. I, I can't wait to meet them eventually. You know, yeah, you I was will. hoping to make it to your city. Uh, good segue for a football mm -hmm. game, but it just so happens we're hosting you guys this time, which is nice. Yes, and, and I know I said last week that if the game was on Sunday, maybe I would make it out there. And uh, the game is on Sunday, and I am backing out. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. it looks, no, it's it's going to be so cold there. <laughs> well, let's look it up now. I actually haven't looked up the weather this weekend because Hodari wanted to go. Um, it's been colder here, but I didn't go to the game here either. Um, yeah. And uh, it's yeah. not going to be as cold, I don't think. But oh, yeah. It's going to be 23 degrees God, so it's cold pretty warm to be outdoors for, for it's actually the warmest day in the next few days okay yeah it doesn't look like any snow though okay that'll be interesting and look i'll be honest i think y'all are gonna beat us and it, oh and we got a lot of we've got a lot of injuries man we we lost like half our defense in the last game um you know but who knows 
Yeah. I think, I'm just happy I, to be here. Just this time. And and if you do, I'll you know, what I'm hoping for, look, I'm hoping for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. If you beat us this weekend or if we lose the following weekend, um, you know, which I guess if we lose the following weekend, it would be because we beat you. So I'll just say if we lose this weekend, then I will be rooting for a Bills Lions Super Bowl. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, right? I yeah, I'm just happy to be here. You know, they gave us a two percent chance of winning the division six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. It's crazy so what y'all have done. Just been winning every game. This is our seventh win in a row, I think. And mm-hmm. just gotta keep going, survive in advance. I'm just uh happy to see them out there. You know, Josh Allen said something really interesting, which I thought was profound in a certain way. He was like, basically for seven weeks now, we've had to win every game. And he's like, there's actually something calming now about the fact that everybody now has to win every game. He's like, it's, it actually makes me calmer. <laughs> so it's like, I can see it's, that. That makes sense. It's, it's glad to see it. You know, it was it good to see sense. just like Buffalo fans out there get shoveling the snow. They, a friend of mine went to the Amazing. game. They didn't have assigned seats because they couldn't see the numbers. So everybody just, you just went in. It was just like an old school game. It's like you Southwest took, Airlines. Yeah. You just took whatever seat you can uh, at, well, the, at the stadium. Didn't they do a thing where like, you would get a ticket if you like brought a if snow shovel. If you shoveled, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a long running <laughs> tradition. It's a long really? running tradition in Buffalo. Anytime it snows in, in any significant way. Yeah. Because a lot of these snow games, you know, people were getting angry at first. And I think people forgot that a lot of people died last year when we had a similar snowstorm. Mm-hmm. So like the governor was like, you can't go to the stadium. And it's not because of the game. Although once people saw the video of what the game would have looked like, it would have been unplayable anyway. It's just you couldn't get to and from the stadium. That was the issue, yeah. So I, I think I I saw where it, so the game in Kansas City this past week was I think it's it turned out to be the third coldest game in the history of the NFL, um, and I think there were like a, a couple dozen like hypothermia cases that had to be responded to. I mean, and we're talking like of course like fans, right? So um, it's I have to assume that as climate change becomes a part of our reality, one of the many effects of it is going to be that you're just going to have more and more domes, like more and more. Yeah. I mean, eventually I assume uh, that, you know, the chiefs are going to ask um, Jackson County to build them a dome. Well, eventually. what's crazy is we have, we're building a gazillion dollar stadium without a dome in Western New York. Makes no sense. By the way, th- once we have a dome here, we're already like the loudest stadium in the NFL. Like right. no one's going to be able to call an audible against the Chiefs in Kansas City when we have a dome. I mean, like you're going to have to wear earplugs to play on. You know, the you know it's a crazy team. thing, and, and you know, a lot of people who probably lost any non-football fans at this point. So yeah, we've lost a lot of matter. viewers and listeners by this point. So I actually think going. the Bills like playing in Kansas City at this point. You know, they've done well during the season. I think in part because there's like a, I think there's so much pressure. It's like if if, if like you're if you if you have to give a speech or something, and there are people you know in the audience versus if it's just mm-hmm. a bunch of strangers, right? Like sometimes the pressure of the fans, I think, does weird things to this team. Well, even also the expectations. Really yeah. Like, like I think it's why if I were a field goal, goal kicker, and I'm not, I never even played. I'm like the only person who never played rec soccer as a child. I was just always a baseball kid. I can't kick anything. But if I were, I would always prefer like a 50-plus yard field goal to like a 30-plus yard field goal because at the 50-plus yard field goal, you have that yes. feeling in you of like, 
Well, if I miss this, people will understand. So you could just relax and kick it. And the 30 plus, it's like, I'm not supposed to ever miss Well, the this worst kick. is the 48 or the 46 yarder. Anywhere yeah. like 42 to 50 is like, you're kind of supposed to make those, but they're exactly. kind of hard. Yeah. 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 And over 50, it's forgiven, although it's getting now. Anyway, we should stop. Dude, the Eagles hit a 59 yarder against us to beat us, which is, wild. yeah, it's, but, but I think, but even, th- but with that, you're like, all right, here goes nothing. And I just right. think here goes nothing is like the exact right mindset for athletics if you right. want to execute something mechanically and fundamentally. All right. Uh, Please leave a five-star review to let other people know about this show. I mean, other people need to know what we think about the Bills and the Chiefs. Uh, so let them know. Uh, you can find us on social media. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta uh, everywhere. And I'm at Jason Kander everywhere. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. <laughs>